Grant, O Lord, that thy word only may be spoken and thy word only may be received. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Today, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, let us speak of great and noble things. Let us speak of the benefits, the effect of the Christian life on culture, of Christian faith on the world. Let us do so, however, through unlikely avenues. Let us do so on the pitch of rugby and through tales of warriors and gladiators. Now, I'm sure very few of you are aware of this, but the planet is in the midst of the Rugby World Cup. The Rugby World Cup occurs every four years and has fast become one of the largest international sporting events in the world. It rivals things like the Olympics. And like the Olympics, there are national teams. One country plays another country. And during the time of the World Cup, national pride swells. Entire nations rise in support of the boys. Now, one unique aspect of rugby, perhaps unique, is that many teams have traditions that they keep pre-game. Rituals. Some of the traditions or rituals serve to psych out their opponents. Others to rouse the crowd to garner support. Now, the New Zealand national team, the All Blacks, perform a traditional native Maori tribe war dance. And it is something to see, a sight to behold. It does so much to pump up the crowd and also is extremely intimidating to opponents. A team who is of interest to us this morning is the Wales Dragons. They have a team anthem and ritual unlike any other team I know of. Before the start of a game, or at the end of the game, or sometimes when their team scores, they break into song. But not just any song, mind you. They break into a hymn, and a specific hymn, Bread of Heaven. The entrance hymn we sang this morning. Now, I've never seen it for myself. It's on my list of things to do before I die. But I'm told that the Welch people breaking into song, bread of heaven, is a sight and a sound that moves even the hardest man to tears. Hundreds of thousands of fans joining in and singing, I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. Bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. The Welch call on the name and the power of God Almighty on the field of rugby. Their song is a thousands, a nation strong prayer to God. No other team has as their song the practice or practice the singing of hymns. So why do the Welch have a practice unlike any other team? I propose a thesis this morning, brethren and sistren, that it's because of the deposit of Christian faith and the influence of Christianity in the nation of Wales that they have as a part of their fabric, the Christian ideal. Now, Wales is a tiny nation to the west of England on the island of Great Britain. 
Christianity arrived in Wales like it did many other places during the Roman occupation. It arrived very soon after the event of Pentecost. But it wasn't until around 500 AD, the beginning of the age of the saints, they say, that Christianity gained a foothold, a strong foothold, became the foundation and backbone of the culture of Wales. It became the backbone and foundation through the establishment of monasteries. Now, these monasteries, places where monks and nuns lived, helped found parish churches in each village, but they also kept great and massive libraries. Much of our knowledge of the ancient world is due to the monks of Wales and of Ireland recording and keeping the history of the world. In times of great invasions, barbarous people, they preserved the history of the world. Now, these monasteries and parishes did much more. They were also centers of learning and education. They were the first hospitals, the first places of medical learning, places where art and music were allowed to flourish, promoted. The first places that stood to aid the poor, the widow, and the orphan. Through feast and famine, through war and invasion, through plague and pestilence, these monasteries and parish churches kept alive faith and history, education, learning, medicine, the art of healing, art and music, all the while caring for the least among them. Now, not only did the Welch keep these things, but they spread them, took them with them throughout Europe, North America, the wide world. So to this very day, there is enough of that foundation, I argue, there's enough of that backbone to cause the Welch people as a whole to break into prayerful games, prayerful hymns during rugby games, to identify themselves collectively as a Christian nation, a people who call on the name of God in the worst of times, a people who call on the name of God during sport and recreation. And all of this is due to the deposit of faith planted at the beginning of the reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now on to warriors and gladiators. This morning, we're privileged enough to begin the epistle of St. Paul to the church in Thessaloniki. The church in Thessaloniki is a Cinderella story, if there ever was one. It's also a major center of the Christian faith and a seabed of Christianity. For those of you keeping score, Thessaloniki is a port city on the coast of northern Greece, founded around 315 B.C. Paul, Timothy, and Silas, or Silvanus, found the church in Thessaloniki sometime around 50 A.D., very early on. The three missionaries had been in Philippi planting a church, but because of threats to life and extremely difficult and dangerous times they're having there, Paul, Silas, and Timothy leave under the cover of night and walk a hundred or so miles to Thessaloniki. Once there, Paul preaches to whomever will listen. Within three weeks, within three weeks, Paul has started a church. Now that's a miraculous event in and of itself, but the byproduct of starting this church in three weeks is he also causes a riot. He calls it a riot among the Jewish population mainly because of the success of his preaching and the church planning. So Paul is only in Thessaloniki for three weeks before being run out of town 
but yet an infant church is born. Against all odds, a seed is planted and a seed sprouts. Now, fast forward a couple hundred years to 313 A.D., and we begin to see the fruit of Paul's labor. A cathedral church is consecrated in Thessaloniki. The church takes for its name the church of St. Demetrius. St. Demetrius, the man, hails from a noble family in Thessaloniki. Through his noble ancestry, in his own ability, through his own virtue, Demetrius rises to a very high military position under Galerius Maxima. Now, Galerius is the Caesar, the emperor of the eastern part of the Roman Empire. When it was so large, it needed two rulers. Now, despite Demetrius' very important position in the military in a pagan Roman Empire, Demetrius remains steadfast in the Christian faith and practice. And while remaining steadfast to the Christian faith and practice, he does a tremendous amount to encourage other Christians to endure persecution. And he even brought many of his brethren, many pagans, to the Christian faith. St. Demetrius gained an eternal place in the church through these things, but the event we remember him for takes place like this. Galatian returns one day from a great and dread war campaign to Thessaloniki, his capital city. And he holds great pagan games and he offers great pagan sacrifices to celebrate his military triumph. Now, during these games and rituals that Galatius is putting forth, Demetrius begins to be talked about by the other pagans in the military, begins to be denounced. The pagans, envious of his success, they do such a good job, Demetrius is thrown into prison for his faith. Now, while in prison, Demetrius is visited by a young Christian by the name of Nestor. And I'm sure we'll all remember Nestor when we go to our parties and gatherings later and talk about him. But this young man named Nestor comes to Demetrius and asks him for a blessing that he may engage in a combat, a gladiator's match, as it were, with a giant of a man named Leo. Now, Leo is the poster boy, the poster child of paganism. So small Nestor, giant Leo, we see a match of David and Goliath again. Demetrios gives his blessing. Nestor, against all odds, guess what? Dispatches Leo in the gladiator's ring. Now, this enrages the emperor because this little man, Nestor, has bested the poster boy for paganism. And he gets even more enraged when he learns that it had occurred with Demetrios' aid and with his blessing. So the first thing he does is have the gladiator Nestor beheaded outside the city. Then he has Demetrios taken up into public and impaled with spears. The legend of Demetrios. So this legend and this witness strengthens the Christian church in Thessaloniki as they fight invasions and they face trials and tribulations through the years. They remember the strength and the courage of Demetrius and Nestor. My brothers and sisters, that same cathedral stands today. It's had a rough history though. The cathedral of St. Demetrios was taken over by Muslims in the 1400s, not returned to Christianity until 1912, But the church in Thessaloniki remained. Without building, they remained. Now in 1917, there were 
suffered the most recent of seven fires. It was not reopened until 1942. But like I said, through the invasions, through the fires, through the pillaging, the plundering, the Christian community remained in Thessaloniki, remained a force and an influence. So it might sound dire and grim, but I want to propose a few things for you to consider. Several very important saints, people, brethren, have come out of the community of Thessaloniki. Two of the most important missionaries or famous missionaries at that, Cyril and Methodius. Another party names you can throw around, but Cyril and Methodius were brothers who are credited with evangelizing most of the continent of Eastern Europe. Brothers who worked hard to deposit the Christian faith, who influenced, impacted an entire continent. Now, in the medieval period, the church in Thessaloniki produced St. Gregory Palamas. He was a very refined, powerful thinker who defended the church in the Middle Ages from some great and terrible heresies. We still study him today. We still learn from his writings today. So think for a moment how many lives were brought to Jesus Christ through the efforts of the deposit of faith in Thessaloniki. Think about how much one church contributed to the world around her. Think for a moment the timeless witness the church in Thessaloniki has borne. How she has taught perseverance, patience, endurance to the millions who have come through her church doors through the centuries, who have entered into her community. Think about the fact that one man spending just three weeks preaching the good news of God and Jesus Christ brought about a shift in an entire continent and bore a timeless monument to the goodness and mercy of God. Against all odds, against the world, the Cathedral Church of St. Demetrius in Thessaloniki still to this day bears witness to the truth of Jesus Christ, still brings the world, still brings lost souls to the knowledge and love of God, still raises her children up to know and love Christ. It's a powerful thing. Now we have spoken of gladiators and warriors and the pitch of rugby. And I won't speak about rugby with you for probably another four years until the Rugby World Cup comes around again. So you're free now. But with these things in mind, brethren, sistren, let us consider our own parish church of St. John. An infant to a mere infant compared to the two millennia these two other communities of faith have stood things for us to consider. What will our contribution be to the deposit of Christian faith in our own land? When history turns its eye on us, will we be remembered as a community that produced great missionaries? Will we be remembered as a community that gave to the world great educators, scientists, doctors? Will we be remembered as ones who persevered through trial and tribulation? Ones who preserved the great artistic and musical contributions to the world? Will we be, will we be remembered as ones who kept and spread the faith in a hostile world? Will we be remembered as ones who were kind to the poor, to the orphan, and to the widow? 
Will we, my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, be the cause one day of an entire nation rising to song and prayer and in praise? Will we be the cause of that which brings even the hardest heart to joy? As the world around us falters and shakes and stands in fear of collapse, remember and be encouraged by the example of the church in Wales and in Thessaloniki for facing all dangers and the worst of famines. They did not neglect or forget the faith contained in their churches. They saw them rather as the only hope for the life of the world. Perhaps we would do well to think about the same. For in their centuries of witness, they have given hope upon hope to the world around them. And let us pray that in our own life and with our own community, we may be blessed to do the same. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.